chapter 3, verses 1 to 14. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Etusia and Trachonitis and Licentius, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the word of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be laid low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. Please be seated. And so we, we start out with this passage where we see we see the ministry of John, and it's, it's, in, it's in fulfillment of prophecy, the prophet Isaiah fulfill or, or prophesies of this one who's going to prepare pathways and make them straight and proclaim the good news to the people. Um, the, uh, the prophet Malachi also prophesies of, of John as well. And um, we see this figure who's, who's dressed kind of rough, and he's dressed in, you know, uh, goat hair and all and and or camel hair and he's eating locusts and wild honey in the in the um the wilderness and it it reminds people of what prophet in the old testament anybody who did likewise anybody know not samson who anybody elijah elijah did likewise he lived in the um he, and, and that's why the people wonder if he's Elijah later on, and you'll note, you'll note that in other Gospels. But the, the thing that's important about this as well is that we're not, talking about, we're not talking about just something that's sort of a moral idea, the moral idea of John, right? We're not reading something here that says, oh, there's this 
this idea that John came out and did this, he's set in human history here. You notice how many, uh, how many different places. It's really interesting that Luke's very specific. He, should, he could have just said, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius. Um, that, mean, that, that was about the, uh, when Jesus was about 15 years old is when Tiberius came after Augustus. And so it's set at a very specific time around 26 AD. And, uh, and, and then he also mentions others. He mentions Pontius Pilate is the governor. He mentions Herod, who's the son of Herod the Great. One of the, uh, not the Herod that was alive when Jesus was alive, but one of his sons because his, Herod's kingdom was split up among his sons. And so there's Herod Antipas and then Philip and another person who share in the, in the rule of the surrounding region where it had been consolidated under, consolidated under Herod the Great. And so you see a very specific time frame in which John is now, has moved from this, this time of preparation, is now... Um, moved from the wilderness to the Jordan and announced a baptism of repentance to the people. Now, one of the things that we need to recognize is how strange or how unusual that would have been to the people of of the people to whom he was preaching. Now, it's not in the idea of baptism itself. Now, one of the things that we you know, for those who like to talk about certain words in the Greek, meaning baptizo or, or bapto and that sort of thing, the, the, the word actually appears in the Old Testament. And, uh, and there were a lot of washings, they're called washings, but the actual word is baptizo in the Greek and the, the translation from the Hebrew into the Greek Septuagint, which Septuagint comes from the idea that, that there were these... these um, rabbis that translated the the hebrew into the greek but they they would baptize a number of things it talks about in the um old testament in in first corinthians chapter 10 that the people were baptized into moses in the red sea as they passed through the red sea and i'll just offer number one that there were infants that were passing through that and so they were baptized and because they were passing through the Red Sea, they were also sprinkled. They were not immersed by the water. The people that were immersed were actually the Egyptians in judgment. And we pass through that, and so we're no longer immersed in judgment by God. We're not, we no longer receive God's judgment. But the other piece to that as well is that they would baptize things. They would baptize couches. And they would do that by sprinkling water and that it was, it was ceremonial as well as washings. And so baptism itself wasn't an issue. Now, one of the things, the, 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 um, the Jews actually believed that they did not need to be baptized again because they had been baptized in the Red Sea of Mo- in Moses. It's an actual interesting historical footnote. But if you were a convert to Judaism, which they had them, and there was a place for people to become believers in the the God of Abraham, and they were intended to be a blessing to the nation, they would have to, they could become proselytes, and they would have, they would go through a process in which they would take the law upon themselves. They were, there was kind of this, this um, thing where you were kind of pure Gentiles, and you weren't you weren't anywhere near the covenant, and they had this other idea of God-fearers or Gentiles that worshiped the God of Abraham, 
But then if you wanted to become a Jew, you would actually go through two processes. Not only would you become circumcised, but they would shave your entire body and you would be baptized. And you would actually have to become then, that that was part of it. But in one sense, it was to, to note that somebody who was unclean was becoming clean. And so the issue here is that it's kind of foreign to the idea of a, uh, of a Jewish believer, the idea that somebody's coming to them and saying, you need to be baptized, because they're already in the covenant. But yet what we see here is that John's ministry is to announce something where he's inaugurating or he's, he's, there's, there's, there's going to be a change, not that, that, that the fundamental character of God's graciousness towards his people is going to change, but there's going to be an amplification or a change in the administration of that to where people are, who are now believers need to, to receive a baptism of repentance to, to prepare for, the, for this this work that God is doing in the advent or the coming of his son's ministry. And so we see that in John calling people to the Jordan to be baptized and to receive a baptism of repentance. Now, it's said here, if you'll notice, I'm going to continue to read here for a second after um, this. Well, let me, let me touch on this first, is this idea about... Um, valleys being made low and you're thinking wow everything's going to be filled out so it's going to be like a putting green right you, you kind of get the sense of this prophecy of Isaiah that all the valleys are going to be filled out and all the, the hills are going to be low and so everything's going to be like a putting green you're thinking in one sense imagery wise you're thinking that doesn't seem like a very it, I like hills and valleys right that who, who doesn't like relief but the the point here is that it's 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 Figuring the idea of like making um, straight pathways in terms of not some some say is the question the conduct in terms of people starting to live according to what God has commanded or is it the idea of the um, the the preparer making it so that the gospel will go out clearly and and make an, a straight pathway for people to receive the good news that is being heralded now by God and. What we see now is we see the, the good news being proclaimed by John, but what I want to continue to read here is something that we might not always think is good news, but I want to redirect your thinking and make sure you understand that it is good news. It says, beginning in chat, verse 7, He said, therefore, to the crowd that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the foot of the tree. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I don't think... Excuse me. I don't think John... About that, I got caught up here with my. There we go. I think John could stand to read a few more motivational books on how to get people motivated, right? You know, this is not the way that we would consider, like, you're not being very appealing in terms of what you're trying to say to people. It's, uh, there's a, a true story of a Methodist preacher who uh, had the opportunity to preach to President 
Andrew Jackson, which, you know, now I've got my son paying attention because he despises Andrew Jackson. Um, he's actually a very un- unpopular president. Um, it's not that he was the founder of the Democratic Party. That's, that's not a problem per se. There, there were other problems with Jackson. But in one point, a Methodist preacher uh, was, he, he was going to be preaching to him, and he was told, hey, be careful about what you say. This is the president of the United States. And, um, and so he began his, um, his sermon this, in, sort of like this. He goes, I've been told to be careful about what I say to Andrew Jackson. I just want to say if Andrew Jackson does not repent, he's going to go to hell. And um, or he said, repent and believe in Christ, he's going to go to hell, which is true of everybody, right? And Andrew Jackson actually came up and shook his hand afterwards and said, I wish I had more people with kind of the moral courage that you have, because the man was saying what is true in the gospel proclamation. Now, the problem that we have today is that we think that the, the gospel, which it says this is the gospel here, we think that the gospel is fundamentally people who have these felt needs and they determine what their felt needs are and that the worst and the, and that the most important thing for you to do is to affirm them and who they are and to make them feel good about themselves in fact i was just listening to something yesterday where it was it, there's there's almost this idea where god's love is so amplified that it mutes out every other aspect of god's character as if the only thing that he is is love and exists almost like an emanating force to make sure that whatever we feel we need god to fulfill that he's just going to say okay you need to feel good about that i'm just going to emanate love love's coming at you right now for you to feel good about yourself so it doesn't matter what comes out of your heart god's there to kind of fill that void and to make you feel good about whatever decision or whatever you're doing in your life whatever you feel you need whatever desire you have but beloved that's not that's not the reality and I think until we understand that what, what John is saying to people who are coming to him, to call them a brood of vipers, is not an insult to you. It's an insult to a brood of vipers. Because vipers are just doing what they're created to do. They're just trying to live their lives as vipers. They're slithering around the thing. And they sometimes people think they're sticks and they pick them up and then they bite them and they die. They're like, hey, I wasn't, wasn't trying to kill anybody. I was just trying to be a viper. I'm just doing what I was created to do. You know, go eat mice in the, in the, in the wilderness and that sort of thing. But the reason why, they're, why we're called vipers is because the venom of ass is under our, in, in our lips. We, have, we are, by nature, sinners. We were born sinners. And it's the grace of God that calls us out and says the reality about us so that we can see the true condition of our hearts. Now, if all it was is that we were left in that condition and God's own only ministry was to tell us, like, you're a brood of vipers, full stop, then it wouldn't be much good news, right? Is that all the good news there is, is that wow, I'm a viper, that's it. What am I supposed to do with that? No, and then the, the corresponding thing is that by God's grace, that message goes out and it actually changes the heart. It actually 
allows us to see our need. It allows us to see our condition for what it is because sometimes the very thing that we need to understand is that the fundamental problem that we have is not that the desires that we have are unfulfilled, our deepest longings, that our problem is and our deepest longings are unfulfilled, but our deepest longings sometimes are the very things that are destroying us. And that if we received our deepest longings that we then continue to curve in on ourselves, then because we are by nature sinners and we're using other people to get whatever it is that we want, that we're actually destroying other people in the process, and we're dishonoring God all the time, who is our creator and is worthy to be worshipped. And I know this is a hard thing to hear. In fact, I remember preaching on Psalm 51 years ago, and it almost seems like whenever... It, it, it really depends on how you see reality, but... David's repentance after the sin of Bathsheba is like one of these things in, to, in which he's, he's confessing that when he was doing the things that he wanted to do, that he had, he, had, he, had, he had gone for the desire of his heart. He was self-actualizing and saying, I will not be happy until I, see, until I have that woman whom I think is like the hottest thing that I've seen in a long time until she's mine and oh, by the way, now that she's pregnant, the only way I'm going to be happy is if, that if I arrange for her husband to be killed in battle, and now I've got a kid along the way, nobody's figured it out, and I'm going to be happy. And then the prophet comes to him and confronts him of his sin, and he's undone, and he realizes, and he confesses in his thing that while he was sinning, his, it was almost like his bones were breaking inside of him, even as he felt like he, need, he had everything that he wanted, until, until God had confronted him in his grace to show him that he was a snake, that he was not, even though he could, he could intellectualize that he was happy and that he was fulfilling and he was expressing who he really felt that he was until God confronted him and showed him the depth of his sin, could he then have the opportunity to confess that sin and for God to say that you're forgiven? And so it's, it's, it's a grace of God that leads us to repentance because the other side of repentance is when we turn from our sin, we turn to something that's going to do something about that sin and the only remedy for that is the cross of Christ where we see him hanging on a cross between heaven and earth with one hand touching God and one hand touching our humanity and he is dying to sin, the guilt of sin which would condemn you to death and dying to sin's power which would enslave you to your desire and leave you to rot and to receive the just condemnation for the things that would naturally come out of your heart except that God is gracious and came down in human flesh to deal with your sin. You guys capturing the, the, the beauty of the gospel that would call people to repentance so that the person who comes and to John in the wilderness and says, you brood of white vipers, who warned you from the wrath to come? Now, some of them are like, brood of vipers, how dare you? I'm righteous. I'm out of here. I don't need to hear this. I'm a child of Abraham. I'm righteous. I'm good to go. 
And the person whose heart has been changed by the gospel, even in the harshness of what it sounds like to the foolishness of the human ear, God's spirit is able to do something with that to say, you're right, I'm a brood of viper. I, I am, I am a sinner. That's exactly why I'm here. That's why I'm, a receive, that's why I'm receiving this baptism of repentance. And John's like, this water's for you. You notice that people didn't just all leave, right? There are people that hung around. Is John the last person in the New Testament to call somebody to call somebody a brood of vipers? No. Christ himself said that, that those exact words, because when the Pharisees, when when the Pharisees uh, came to Jesus one time, he pointed out to them that they were when he, he challenged them. They said, we're sons of Abraham. He said, you're sons of the person you serve. Because we don't fundamentally, even in the church or in the Old Testament church, whatever you want to call it back then, the people of God, they conceived of themselves as righteous. But the reality is, is that in Adam, we are all, we are all sons of the devil unless God himself does something by the power of the gospel to, re- to remove that slavery from us. And so there's power. This is one of the strange things. We think this is just an intellectual switch thing that's going on, that we just need to make a decision. John's making a challenge to us, and then we just got to make the right decision, and we're going to decide, you're right, I'm a, I'm a viper, I repent, I do all this thing, bing, bang, boom, the switch goes, I'm good. No, this is power of God at work here. It's something that the Holy Spirit does to remove the person from the slavery of their sin, the scales falling off of their eyes, the dead bones in, in the desert, the dry bones coming to life. This is a work of God. We, we, this is the foolishness of the preaching, but the power of salvation. The words that I'm saying by themselves have no power. But if the Spirit of God is working on you, then you're going to see these things not with, with, with the, the eyes of the flesh or the eyes of, of, of human power, but God's Spirit's going to change your heart. And so you're going to receive this word from John to prepare a way for the, um, the, the Messiah who's going to become to receive this baptism of repentance. Now, this isn't Christian baptism yet. This is... A baptism that, again, prepares the people who are in Israel to receive Christ. And in fact, later on, as I mentioned, um, there is Apollos who had never received the baptism of Jesus, but only had heard of the baptism of John. But he was actually out there proclaiming um, the Messiah, but then he was instructed in a better way after the the fullness of that had come. And so then we continue here. In verse 10. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two two tunics to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you were authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, and he and and we, what are we to do? And he said to them, Do not exhort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages. So, um, 
what we see here then, and I, I, wanted to use, um, I wanted to use a term that we could kind of understand a little bit more. Fruit in, in keeping with repentance is what John is calling them to. But what I'm trying to get us in, in what that sense is, is that fruit that is fitting, fruit fit for repentance. That means it corresponds to a heart that is repentant. You see, we sometimes get really tripped up in the Christian life by worrying about, I don't want to be a legalist. I know I can't be saved by my own good works. And so um, I know that it's faith alone that saves me. And so that if I, if I focus too much on what I'm going to do, then I'm going to be relying upon my righteousness. So maybe I'm not supposed to do anything. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do? You know, the reality is that we have to understand that when Christ when we are dead in our sins and trespasses, that doesn't mean that we're like really dead, like we're just corpses, right? It means that we have no power in ourselves to fulfill anything that the, the law demands of us, that we are, not, we are not capable in ourselves in honoring God with our lives. We may do things, now and let me say this, we may do things and we do things that are good to one another on a certain plane, okay? And we should be thankful for certain things, medicine and that sort of thing, and not think that everything that comes from the world is bad. You know, um, uh, heating and air conditioning and electricity, those are awesome things, and you don't need to have a Christian electric company providing those for you it's good that we are created in the image of god and these things glorify him when we when it's just that the people who are doing that are not glorifying god in the giving of those things and we're also in in our hearts we're prone to use other people in the in the way that we do things and you can see that all around you and the wickedness that that not only unbelievers do, but then our own hearts, even though we're set free from that, we still continue to struggle with. But when we are brought from that, that, that death into the life that Christ provides, we are, our, our attitude towards law fundamentally changes, not as a way to receive from God some sort of due to say, if, I, if you do these things, then you're my child. We can't do these things in order to become his child. You guys following me? We are dead in our sins and trespasses. And so the only way that we're going to become God's child is if he performs some sort of work of power on us to become his children, to become the kind of people that are seeing our sins and repenting from them. And then once we become his children, another metaphor for that is that we become like a tree that is planted in God's garden. We're united to Christ, and so from that is going to be produced fruit. Now, Jesus says a bad tree produces bad fruit, and that a good tree produces what kind of fruit? Good fruit. Is it fruit because we're so good, or is it fruit because we're united to Christ? I made that easy for you, sorry. I should have asked a more complicated question, but we don't need to make things too hard around here. The point is, is that we should expect fruit if we are united to Christ. And so these people are coming to him that have been baptized and said, what kind of lives are we supposed to live if we're now, if we're repentant, right? That's kind of what they're asking. What are we supposed to do? And he didn't say, well, you're not supposed to do anything. You're supposed to believe. That's not what he said. He actually gave them examples of what it would look like in certain situations. Now, is this everything that we could do that it, when it comes to bearing good fruit? No. I mean, they're, they're very specific examples, you know. Um, 
we have, tend to have more than one change of clothes, as an example. You know, they didn't really have that. It was, now they might have had two tunics in some cases say, well, I don't normally use my extra tunic, but when it gets cold, I need it. But the point is, is that if you have excess clothes and you have, you have plenty, then give to the person who doesn't have any. What would that look like if I love God and I love those who are created in his image and I've got two tunics, I'm walking around and I see a person that's unclothed and cold and I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not giving this to you. That's not, is that fruit that is consistent with somebody who loves God? You see what I'm saying? It's not because God is, John isn't saying, well, if you don't do that, then you're not really, that, that, then God's not going to accept you. It's more that this is what it looks like that God has changed you and this is what you need to walk in because as we continue to struggle with sin and temptation and these sorts of things a life of constant putting to death the things that remain that God is rooting out of you that the Holy Spirit is 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 getting rid of means that we die more and more to selfishness and the things that used to characterize our old life and more and more to say here's extra here's here's I've got more than enough I don't need to live in luxury for you to be sitting out here in the cold. And then he goes to the tax collectors, and he doesn't say, taxes, God hates taxes, you need to stop collecting taxes. That's not what he says. He actually tells them to be, to be ethical in the collection of taxes, which to us seems like an oxymoron, but it's not. Now, there were a lot of things that were, um, that were, there, there were, there were very few professions well, there were, there were lots of professions that the Jews hated, um, and one of them was tax collectors, in addition to things that we would understand um, that everybody would say that's not an honorable profession, but tax collectors especially because you kind of paid for that, um, you kind of like, it was almost like a franchise, you know, like a steak and shake or whatever, or a, you know, a Chick-fil-A or something like that. I, I become a, a tax collector and the way that you'd make money is that you would pay for it and then you'd have to make your money back. And, and you, you might have other tax collectors and set up other kinds of things to go out there and, and do that. But you would, people would just be traveling and, and before you know it, you're at another tax collector booth and you're passing through a region and it's just like this, pol- this toll tax is, is eating you alive and they, they were despised because they were collecting money for this wicked government and they were also lining their own pockets. And so John tells them not to, not to be snakes anymore, basically, to live lives that are honoring to God. And then to soldiers, he's like, what do we do? And he's like, stop shaking people down. You know, like you're armed, you're you're, you got these swords, you're intimidating. He's not talking about airmen. He's talking about like Marines or soldiers and that sort of thing. Just kidding, Aaron. I'm sure you'll be intimidating someday. <laughs> but but um, the, uh, the reality is, is that they could, they could they, they're like, hey, I'm not getting paid enough. I, I, I've got enough to, to live off of, but look at all these other people. So just go rough some people up and take money from them. But he doesn't tell them to quit their job, to quit um, serving um, the government, but he tells them to do it with integrity and to do it, to do it right. You know, these are, all th- these are all challenges to us, right? What, is God, what does God expect of us as we live lives of repentance? What are the things not only in our own 
hearts that we need to be putting to death and constantly be repenting of. Luther says that the Christian life is one of, of, of repentance. It's, it's a call to repentance. And that means that every day we have to look at ourselves and turn away from the sin that God would have us put to death because God did, or Christ didn't unite us to himself to leave us unchanged. But what, is it, what does it look like on a daily basis for us to be putting sin to death in our members? What are the things out of this that you need to be reminded that the whole point of Christ's ministry was not to leave you dead in your sins and trespasses? You're no longer a brood of vipers, but you still have that, that life within, you still have that heart within you that is corrupt. You still have that, that corruption within you that de- needs to be removed. And let me make sure you understand me that we of all people should understand the heart of other people who don't believe in Christ. And we don't, and we don't for a minute think of ourselves as the good people, whereas those other people over there who struggle with sin, we at least, they at least have no excuse when they're giving in to sin and temptation because that's their nature. We give in to sin and temptation all the time, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us. And so it is, it is our responsibility to be loving and to be kind and to be patient with the world and to have that heart within us that is inviting to them to be able to, to for them to be seeing the hope that is within us in the exact same circumstances and not lashing out at them as those who um, don't deserve our, our time and our love and our attention or, or, or our charity or other kinds of things. And so this means that we would, we, sh- we of all people should be the ones looking for you know, real justice in this world and the care for people. And um, that may take forms different politically than what we expect all the time. And so this isn't a call to to be um, voting in certain ways or those sorts of things, but to be in the places where we are to have the opportunity to do good to people and to do that which is unnatural for us at times, but by, by by Christ's spirit, repenting of our selfishness, our worldliness, and the other kinds of things, because we know that the things that we're holding on to are going to perish anyway. And so that this, this, this hopefully is one of those things where you think, what a tremendous privilege it is to be a Christian, because I have Christ as my possession, and to be reminded that, yes, in fact, I remember now, I, I, I sometimes forget that I am at my core and I was at my core an object of God's wrath. But thanks be to God, in Christ, God the Father loved me and sent the Son while I was dead in my sins and trespasses as an act of love towards somebody whom he could have left as an object of his wrath and saved you from your sin. And so we should be so joyful to consider that, to consider what love of God there is towards sinners, of which I am one and I continue to be one, but God loves, so loves sinners that he sends Christ into the world so that they might repent and turn from their sins and turn to Christ. And so we have an amazing testimony and amazing lives to live in Christ and I, I would urge you to, to, to reflect upon that today, to be joyful of the fact that you recognize yourself to be a sinner and that you've turned in faith to Christ so that you might be united to him as new creations, to turn to others who are, and likewise, in this, this um, 
this terrible condition so that we might share the hope that it was, is within us and rely upon the Spirit to do the changing and don't worry all the time about how perfect you are. Because if a message like that can get through, beloved, then it'll get to, through to anybody because it's the power of God for salvation. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the testimony of John who prepared the way for Christ, reminding us all that we were by nature children of wrath. And so we pray that we would be realistic in what we understand about ourselves at times and not give in to um, self-deception or to um, be reminded again that uh, we are sinners united to Christ. So we thank you for your gospel that confronts us with our sin, causes causes us to repent and turn in faith to Christ who alone has the power to redeem us from our guilt and also to save us from the power of that sin. In Jesus' name, amen.